Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Cousins gonna throw a fade in the end zone to Diggs. We are tied. All right, Mackie and Judd, Matthew Collar, or Rich Gannon's gonna join us in about 15 minutes, but it has come time. Football. Football. For the football. You've been grind- you were grinding tape with Sage Rosenfels on the Purple Podcast today? We were, yeah. We broke down the 75-yard touchdown to Stephon Diggs from Kirk Cousins. So basically, you get to hear what a quarterback is seeing through his eyes on that type of play. And it was really interesting to hear from Sage about watching the safeties and looking for what type of coverage it is. And the crazy thing about these football players who are really knowledgeable like Sage is... He looked. He took one look at the play, and was like, "Oh, that's a jet right twenty-two burst sweep thing." You know, I mean, just Football. like <laughs> I was like, I mean, that's what I said when I saw it. Also, this is Spider Two Snag, not wide not wide banana, the one he likes, no, but that's Spider Two Snag, and he knows what I'm talking about by using Antoine Bolton as the fullback. So <laughs> that's peak football right there, man. So, <laughs> that's peak football. So he knew the, he knew the progression. <laughs> he knew the concept. He knew what everybody's route was called, and he knew the uh, the where the read would start and the protection. It was every and it is really interesting to hear uh, just how that's done. And you learn a little bit just about everybody on the play. You learn about the protection. You learn about Kirk Cousins and what he's looking at and also get to understand how much goes through a quarterback's mind in every single play and why so few human beings are actually good at this because of the amount of stuff that they need to be aware of. And he was even talking about the details. This was later in the podcast about the center. It's possible Pat Elfline could return this week and just the changing centers and how you know, there's sometimes where it's a run to the right, but the center is coming off to block left, and how you need to adjust as a quarterback to those things. So there's there's a lot to it. But after watching the tape and talking to Sage as well, what I came away with is through two weeks, I think we should be quite impressed with John D. Filippo. And the thing that we didn't really know about him coming here, having only been an offensive coordinator in Cleveland before, is how is he going to react to a big game in Lambeau? I mean, this is for him, too. This isn't just the quarterback. We all judge on how the quarterback plays, but it's a major part of it, the guy who is sending in the schemes. And when you watch, say, Seattle or Chicago last year, and you watch some of those offenses that just do not look like they're from our time, well, 
John DeFilippo's offense looks a heck of a lot like the Eagles last year. I mean, there are so many things that are borrowed, as they should be. Uh, where I was super impressed was third and short. That they converted a few third and shorts that are easy to forget on scoring drives that got them back in that game that were really clever play designs. There are two different plays on third and short where, where Kyle Rudolph looks like he's blocking and it's going to be a zone run to the left, and then he pivots and spins around the other way into the flat, and no one's covering him. And Kirk Cousins just drops it off. One time is for three yards, another time for 23 yards. And it's little things like that where the quarterback has no pressure whatsoever. Almost any quarterback could make that play. That's entirely on scheme, and I thought that he showed some of his chops in a really big game. Yeah. Should they have, on on the last drive, which set up the ultimate Daniel Carlson third miss of the game in overtime, Matthew Collard, and we talked about this during the game, I believe, or just afterwards, should they have considered an end zone shot on that, knowing, knowing that the kicker was 0 for 2 and that there was a real chance that by that point he was mentally just so fragile that a field goal attempt, even at a shorter distance, was going to be a big ask? I'm certain that they thought about it, but at the same time, Kirk Cousins even criticized himself for the Adam Thielen throw. As amazing as that was, he said today, I probably shouldn't have made that throw because... It takes such a miraculous catch, and the safety has to have it go through his hands, and maybe that was just too risky, and he got a good good break there. Yeah. And so if you're trying to repeat that, and you throw a pick this time, I mean, and he threw a pick in that game to two of them, but one of them got taken back, and he took responsibility for that too. He said that he looked at that play and said that the throw wasn't where it was supposed to be on that play that went over Stacey Coley and got called back. And so even he was acknowledging that some of those plays that were risky, didn't they could have gone badly. And if you're him in that situation, you're thinking, well, I've gotten away with a couple of things here. And one of my receivers also is having a mental meltdown and can't catch the football. Maybe at this point, we just line it up as best we can. Latavius Murray had what would have been a key nine-yard run to set them up in really good position. I don't know how much more you can do than set up your kicker for a 35-yarder right in the middle. I mean, they had to be thinking, no way he misses this one. The, I mean, one of them was long. One of them was like 48 or 49, so okay, he missed that one. But this is like an extra point, and he did make his extra points in that game. So you're basically saying, all right, we've set him up with another extra point. He can make this. I don't criticize him for that. I mean, I think when you lead two game-winning drives in overtime and a game-tying drive in the fourth quarter, that you've you've done your job there. You've done all you're supposed to do. And if the kicker can't make the 35-yarder, well, then you bring in a new kicker. And yeah. that's what they did. But I thought, I, I did not criticize them for not being more aggressive there because they set it up for a chip shot. Yeah. Here's so I, I, I'm going through, uh, you wrote a, a fun piece on 1500ESPN.com exploring the different what-if moments in that game. Mm. And one that I want to key in on is what if overtime was 15 minutes? Mm-hmm. And the way you set it up was you have to wonder if the Vikings would have been able to slow Rodgers one more time and then uh, getting the ball back. Could I add, did they feel rushed and if if there was five minutes left in the game instead of a minute left, would they have just scored a touchdown? Like, would they have just progressed forward on the field and maybe they weren't going to go bombs away mm-hmm. into the end zone, but would they have just scored a touchdown if they could have marked methodically for five more minutes? So I think that what they wanted to do there by running Latavius Murray was kind of get a feel for whether they were going to have to do that or not. 
that you, okay, all right, we're in field goal position, but it's not a guaranteed field goal. Let's get a handoff here. And if he gets a big gain, then it's just kill the clock from there and make sure this is the last play and Mm -hmm. we don't give it back to Rodgers. And if he gets stuffed, all right, maybe we're going to have to go back to the throw and try to make this an an easier play. So I guess that that would probably be it. Uh, They did run a lot of the clock down. There was like maybe a minute left when they got to that point, but since they had been burned by Rodgers at the end of the first half and set up a field goal there. And that's another one of the what-if moments. I mean, like... You know, they Rodgers drives down, and if he doesn't do that, then maybe they win the game in a different spot. Uh, you know, there was so much to take away from that game that even days later, we're still kind of going, man, that one had so many things to it. And where we're really going to get into the what if moments, and I can't wait for this, this is going to be exciting, is when we get to playoff scenarios. And it's like, well, they've got the tie, and that's worth so much. And that's, oh, man. I hate tie. My head is already exploding. I hate the math on ties. There's such a wrench in everything. It is very, it's it's hard to look at the standings and try to figure out what, okay, are you above or below a team there? You've got the half a a win, but it's half a loss. Are you better than a one and one (laughs) team? Or are you, I don't understand. Yeah. Color, what what did the last uh, three days also say about this team and the immediate, and this is not a bad thing, the immediate pressure to win, though? Because Carlson is terrible on Sunday. Bailey signed quickly. You, you replaced Stacy Coley, and then David Perry, who had the sack on Sunday against the Packers, is replaced by Tom Johnson. I think it's very interesting, yeah. and, and to their credit, too, that this team in the past three days has been incredibly proactive to upgrade at spots, which which either went from desperately needing to be upgraded and or just improvements. You know, I, I think with what Mike Zimmer, what we've learned from him is that he doesn't make the same mistakes over and over again. Uh, I'll go back to cutting Brian Robinson, who I, I liked and I thought was pretty effective last year, really effective in 2016, but, n- I mean, maybe he just didn't have it. They would have looked a lot closer. I thought he looked okay, but he was burning a lot of backup tackles and things like that. So maybe they decided, all right, the the guys that we have are going to be better. Weatherly, you saw, was actually quite good. I thought he was one of their better rotational players over the first two games, and he might be coming along. But they cut B-Rob I think in part because they let Chad Greenway hang around for one year too many, and it ended up burning them. And with the kicker, it's the same thing. They let Blair Walsh come back after week one against Tennessee when he kicked one into whatever the state is next to Tennessee. And I'm not a geographer, so I don't know which one it is. But they didn't pull the ripcord on Blair Walsh fast enough. And so they said, we're not making that mistake again. And... You know, with the David Perry thing, I think that's obvious. He's not a good player, and Tom Johnson's a really good player. And what the hell is Seattle doing? I have no clue. You're cutting a quality veteran player only to try to re-sign him so you could sign a safety that you didn't play. What? Yeah, it's a... Thank you for giving up a, a really good interior defensive lineman back to Minnesota. Appreciate it. It's free, and I believe Seattle's picking up half the cost or something like that. So, like... Okay. Yeah, if we're looking for like, going into the season, who are the teams that are going to be the bottom feeders in the NFC? Man, it's hard to pick them, right? And Tampa Bay's now two and zero. Yeah, I was more bullish on Seattle than than you guys probably were. I but, wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Let's come back and talk with Rich Gannon, our former MVP and football loving friend. Matthew Collar is here for the football hour, but Judd Zolgad, take it away. Your friend Josh is on the line. Dot biz. Mackie and Judd are back. I have indeed been uploaded, sir. We're online and ready. On 1500 ESPN. Quick look at your traffic here on Mackie and Judd. This traffic update is brought to you by It's 
just lunch. 35 East southbound, about a six-minute delay as we have a crash uh, between Maryland and Pennsylvania Avenue in St. Paul. And uh, also... Let's see. What do we got going on here? My computer is moving a little bit slow, but you know, that's it's okay. Good. It's, it's wet and there's a lot of cars. Yeah, there's crashes it's wet everywhere. And there's cars. There's crashes everywhere, including at uh, 600 First Avenue <laughs> in uh, downtown Minneapolis. Yes, that's so. pretty much it. So just sit back and listen to Wolves Panic on the radio. Football. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's 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 continue the football hour here with our former MVP quarterback Rich Gannon. And uh, I'm I'm sure as you reflect back on your time playing in the NFL, or maybe maybe I'm wrong on this. Do you wish that uh, opposing linebackers were flagged for gently carrying quarterbacks to the ground by the waist, like has happened all across the NFL the first two weeks of this season? Guys, I got knocked out of an AFC Championship game when Terry, Tony Saragusa landed on me, and separated my shoulder. So you know it was intentional. So hey, look, I think the rules are in place for a reason. Um, you know, if you really think about the last decade. A majority of the rule changes have been to promote player safety, and I think none more significant than this year than really taking the helmet out of the game. Hits, you know, leading with the helmet, the crown of the helmet. There's just really no place for it in the game. We're, we're trying to make the game safer and trying to really, from the players' perspective, lengthen their careers. But uh, we, we've already seen a couple of vicious hits the first two weeks of the season, two ejections through two weeks, and uh, I think. Those type of penalties are down from the preseason, but certainly a point of emphasis. Rich, uh, I'm curious whether you believe in trap games, because the Vikings are set to play the uh, Buffalo Bills here, and it just couldn't be a tougher situation for Josh Allen making his second career start, going up against the number 1 defense from last year that's actually gotten better, even uh, adding Tom Johnson recently. Um, From the Vikings' perspective, I mean, when you were on great teams, did you feel like trap games were a real thing? I think so. I mean, I think think a lot of it depends on the maturity of of the football team. you know, some teams are able to handle success better than others. I don't think that's going to be the case with the Vikings. I mean, you know, obviously they stumped the toe a little bit last week. Had a chance to win that game, had a set up for the tie. But, um, look, they should win this game. I mean, I, I did the Bills in week one against the Ravens. It was unwatchable. Um, you know, the quarterback situation with Peterman wasn't good. They make the change to Josh Allen. I will tell you this about Josh Allen. He can, he can chuck it around now. He's got a big, he's got a big time arm. He's got really good mobility for a taller quarterback. The problem is the receiving core, in my opinion, isn't very good. And Kelvin Benjamin has been a disappointment. He doesn't he he, he he can go get the jump balls and those type of things, but he doesn't have a lot of speed and quickness. Doesn't really separate. Doesn't run really good routes. And so um, if they can't crank up Lashawn McCoy and get him a lot of touches and get him in space, they've got no chance against that Vikings defense. So Richie. You've seen quite a bit throughout the course of your career and now into broadcasting games. Your thoughts, though, on uh, Vontae Davis of the Bills up and retiring, not after a game, but at halftime of a game and going and putting his clothes on and saying, I'm done here. Well, this is unusual. It's disappointing. Um, If you know Vontae Davis, he's always a little bit of a different bird. So I can't say I'm totally surprised. He's had some struggles over the last couple of years. He's had some issues with some injuries. Uh, and you never know where a player is uh, mentally. But that's just, I mean, look, you can't wait 30 minutes until the end of the game. I mean, it would be bad enough if he quit on the team and decided to retire, uh, you know, after 
the second game of the season. But to do it at halftime, really? I mean, I just uh, – and, again, I give the team some credit, and certainly Sean McDermott. He's a good football coach. He says we've quickly moved on. And, you know, at the end of the day, how much is that guy really going to help you? But it is an unusual situation and, unfortunately, something that you hate to see. Yeah. When you – I mean I- – and it's probably different for different positions. I mean, the quarterback mental workload is, I would, I would guess, much more intense compared to other positions and it professionals. Really is. Yeah, because I mean, it's like it's what you wake up in the morning and, and you're grinding film and, and you're leading and all those things. Was that is that more of it when you talk about quarterbacks and as they get to the end of their career, or is it physical toll um, from a quarterback perspective? When do you know time's up? You know, it's a great question. You know, at the end of my career, I got to tell you. Physically, it wasn't so. I think you train at such a level. I think as you, as you get older in this profession, you get better and more efficient in terms of how you train. I would tell you that was probably a better shape into my career. Not that I wasn't in good shape early in my career. I think you just learned to train differently and more efficiently. But I would tell you that mentally, it's, it's a grind. I mean, especially on quarterbacks. I mean, so much, so many hours and meetings and film study, and a lot of it on your own. You know, preparing just to get yourself ready and. I think the stress that I felt was always to make sure I was doing enough to prepare to feel like I was the most prepared guy on the on the field. The other challenge I had is I got to be an older player. The, quite frankly, the disappointment that I had with some younger players, and not all of them, but but enough of them, where they didn't realize what it meant to be a professional. Their their work work ethic and the work habits weren't up to par. Some guys will leave the playbook in the locker room Wednesday night and not even bring it home with them. So. Um, I think you have to learn to deal with that. Hopefully you have assistant coaches that can monitor and mentor those young players, but that's, that's a struggle. I know, you know the older players sometimes get really frustrated with the younger players. A lot of it's because they, they don't always do the preparation. So, Rich, um, take me through a player from a player's perspective if you have a situation like the Vikings had on Sunday where Daniel Carlson, a rookie kicker, misses three kicks – including one that could have won the game for them in overtime, and then they're forced into a tie with the Packers. Now, I know in your time in Oakland, you guys had Sebastian Janikowski, and he was pretty pretty reliable. Um, but can you remember a time where, where a game where you guys put up as many points as you possibly could and you end up losing the game on a missed field goal, and how how does the locker room sort of handle that? Now the Vikings, they made the kicking change and everything. They brought in Dan Bailey, but from a from a player's perspective, how do you handle handle a loss or you know even a tie like that? Well, I'll tell you, before we got Sebastian Janikowski, my first year in Oakland, '99, we had the worst kicking situation in football. We heck, we missed extra points, we missed game winning field goals. I mean, mm-hmm. we went up finishing eight and eight. We could have easily been ten and six. So, I'd also tell you that in, in 1997, I was a part of a 13 and three. AFC West championship team that, that had home field advantage throughout the playoffs in Kansas City. And uh, I was I got in the game late. We drove down the field, and we missed a kick that would have that tied the game. And, and um, uh, so, I mean, you know, you're frustrated, you're disappointed. But at the end of the day, you have to be a teammate first. And I think that, you know, you look at the situation, and, and you got to feel bad for, you know, a young kicker like Daniel Carlson. I mean, he, you know, he's trying to do his best. He's having a rough day. Kicking at Lambeau is not the easiest place. Um, all of a sudden, you start to feel the pressure a little bit. You miss a kick. You start going out there thinking about things and, and not uh, just trusting your mechanics. And, and next thing you know, you're out of, out of work. And that's, that's the reality of our business. And so um, this, is a, this is a production-based business. And if you don't produce, especially with a coach like Mike Zimmer, 
you're going to replace you. And I, I, you know, I think that you have to respect that and appreciate that if you're a part of that team. All right, since Manny brought up the uh, the Oakland Raiders, since we're throwing it back here with Rich Gannon, just for fun, Rich Gannon, you threw touchdown passes to seven different players in your MVP year of 2002 in the regular season. Can you name those seven players? I get a couple of them. How about Tim Brown? He was good. Yep. Jerry Rice. He was also good. He was pretty good. Yeah. Yep. Jerry Porter. A lot of Jerry's on that team. <laughs> James Jett. James Jett does not pop up here. Oh, okay. And <laughs> <laughs> <a> self buzzing. <laughs> how about Charlie Garner? Charlie Garner. Okay. Yeah. Uh, how about? Terry Kirby. Yeah, a little, uh, some swings wow. out of the backfield. Kirby's, wow. Terry yeah. Kirby's yeah. taking it way back. About, Two how about left. Jo- how about Doug Jolly? Wow, Doug <laughs> Jolly. Yes. I'm getting close. How, how about, um, would it be, I'll go off the board for $1,000. I'll say Zach Crockett. No, that's a that's a good guess. He was he definitely played football for the Raiders. There's one. <laughs> how about, uh, would it be Tyrell Wheatley? Nope. Go more of the the. We're looking meat and potatoes here. Meat and potatoes. Oh jeez, now I'm striking out. I'm thinking about. You would first think the tight end, but a tight end situation wasn't very good. I think this was, was, it, a, was it. Roland Williams. No, no. I think this was right, a fullback. Oh, John Ritchie. John Ritchie. All right. There it yeah. is. J O N, right? J O N. J O N on Ritchie. Rich Gannon dropping names, man. Wow. Love it. Fantastic. Okay. Right on. All right. You know what? I th- you had a pretty good sporting cast. I think it was more them than you, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. So, I, I, look, I played with, think about my career. I played with you know, Art Monk. I played with Chris Carter. I played with Jerry Rice, Tim Brown. I was really a bum. I was just surrounded by, <laughs> by good players. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're just stealing money for 20 years in the NFL. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Rich. We'll catch up next week, Thanks, man. Rich. You guys are the best. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Rich Gannon, Bye. former Vikings quarterback, MVP with the Raiders. Uh, Matthew Collar has a great sit-down on his Wednesday Purple Podcast episode with Sage Rosenfels, where they go X's and O's and... All kinds of meat and potatoesy stuff. This so. was a super football-y week for the Purple Podcast because I also caught up with Jeremiah Searles, former Viking, and the coolest thing there was we talked about Pat Elfline and just how much respect he has in the Vikings locker room. Jeremiah said basically last year he came in and they all thought he was a veteran. Like it was that quick that he picked up stuff, and by the end of the year, Joe Berger didn't even have to help him with calls or anything anymore, and he brought a professional attitude and a toughness, and these are the types of things that the Vikings will get back when he ultimately does return, and he did practice fully today. Yeah, so check out Cyril's, check out Sage. Uh, Collar does all kinds of like five purple podcasts a week right now. Mackie and Judd, Johnny K joined us with some juicy stuff on Tom Thibodeau, Jimmy Butler. We'll come back with that next. Mackie and Judd resume things following these messages. That's just about the most fantastic scheme I've heard to date. On 1500 ESPN. Are you ready? Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios. We are ready. Now back to Mackie and Judd. Ready! On 1500 ESPN. All right, welcome back to Mackie and Judd. We'll wrap with Roycey in about 15 minutes, but earlier in the show, these guys, Manny Hill and Judd Zolgad, caught up with one of the best NBA insiders out there, John Krasinski from The Athletic, who has all kinds of opinions and information on the Jimmy Butler uh, demanding a trade story that came out earlier today. So let's fire it up. 
Jimmy Butler has d- uh, demanded a trade. John Krasinski, our buddy from The Athletic, uh, helped break that story. He's done a fantastic job reporting on that since this weekend when it surfaced that Jimmy was going to meet with Tibbs, and obviously that didn't go uh, great. Johnny, welcome to the conversation. And uh, all right, tell us what you know about uh, a situation that I think to those of us on the outside seems incredibly odd in how late in the ballgame we are when this uh, request slash demand has been made. Yeah, I mean, it, look, the, the Wolves are, are in a very difficult position right now. Um, you know, after going all summer long, maintaining that there was no problem, that, you know, everything is going to be fine, that you're overblowing any kind of issues behind the scenes, Tom Thibodeau's main guy, the guy that he brought in to turn this culture around, to save this franchise, to help Tibbs, kind of be more effective as a coach and as a leader here has asked Thibodeau to fly out to Los Angeles less than a week before camp. And he's turned his back on him right there. And, and it is a stunning development. Um, It is one that the timing almost couldn't be worse. And now um, there's chaos. Uh, now, you know, now the Wolves have to decide whether they want to trade him or whether they're going to try and, you know, hold him accountable and keep him here. Um, Tibbs's power is now taking a huge hit. Um, it's an absolute disaster for this franchise and this regime right now. Let, and guys, yeah, the training camp is next week. It's just, it's, it's unbelievable, even by this franchise's standards. Johnny, I'm just still amazed at how we got here. I mean, a year ago, 365 days ago, everybody was pumped up for Jimmy Butler, and he had the he had the great press conference that that summer where he gave out his phone number, and everybody's excited and like, oh my gosh, this guy is great. This is going to be fantastic for the franchise, a great move. And here we are, you know, 15 months after the trade, and it's like a complete 180. Yeah, it's amazing, Manny. It's, 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 I've, I literally, and I've been covering this team for 15 years. I've been doing the sports writing thing for practically 20 years. Um, I've never seen anything like it. Um, it's, it's just a staggering about face. Um, and the biggest issue right now is that, yeah, this, like, you know, this would be one thing even if it was Towns who was asking out because Towns isn't Tibbs' guy, you know, um, he isn't the Tibbs disciple. He, you know, he, he isn't the guy who's been backing the head coach from the start, but this is the guy who was supposed to be Thibodeau's answer to any issues about the, that he was having with the franchise. Remember they win 31 games in, in Tibbs' first season here. It wasn't going great. And he, by the changes that he made, he said, guys, it's the young kid's fault. It's not my fault. Mm. And I'm going to bring in my guys to show you how much better it can be. Well, now, not even, I mean, 15 months later, his main guy is saying, see you later. I can't deal with this. And it's, it's a stunning rebuke of the regime. And, and it absolutely puts Tibbs in the crosshairs. And, um, you know, I, I, I really don't know how he salvages things right now. This, and, you know, th- this isn't just Jimmy asking for a trade in July when everyone asks for a trade and, 
you can get a good good value in return and stuff. This is Jimmy putting his coach, his guy, in a terrible position um, going you know going into this. So now everyone in the league knows he wants out. Everyone in the league knows that mo- well, there are a lot of players on this team who are upset with Jimmy, and so there's literally no leverage for Tibbs. And and so to to pull off a deal if he decides to do it is going to be remarkably difficult. Johnny, that begs a very simple question. What happened here? Yeah, you know, so um, from what I'm told, uh, you know, we all know that there has been some friction between Butler and Towns and Wiggins, and, and, and Butler has wondered if this is the group to be around that's, that, that can vault him into championship contention in, in his later years. Um, but I from... The way that I understand it is uh, one of the other big factors, and maybe even a bigger factor, is that Jimmy Butler wanted this summer to have a renegotiation and extension of his contract that would have paid him somewhere in the neighborhood of $160 million over the next five years. Um, To do that, though, the Timberwolves would have had to clear an enormous amount of cap space to make that happen, either trade Wiggins or trade Teague and Gorgie or do, do some, make some moves that would have weakened the team from a competitive standpoint. They understandably said, look, we can't do that. Um, that's not going, that's not realistic. And, um, and so they did that, uh, or they told him no. And then that was a point of contention for Jimmy. And, and so the contract issue was, was a problem. Um, you know, maybe some of the teammates were a problem. Um, and from what I'm also told, guys, is that the, the kind of painting of the picture as Jimmy being incredibly close with Tibbs and incredibly respectful of Tibbs, that may have been overblown a little bit. I think mm-hmm. there was some issues that Jimmy had with Tibbs, and so I don't think that he really minded, you know, kind of doing this to, to Tibbs this late in the offseason. I think that, you know, he, the, the, the kind of depiction of them both as um, two peas in a pod may have been oversold. And so um, that's how we got to this point. And, and man, is it a bad point to be at. So if you're Glenn Taylor now and you are faced as the owner of this team with this situation after, you know, if Tibbs comes up to you last summer and says, I want to do this trade and bring Jimmy Butler in here. And you're, you're Glenn Taylor. You, from all accounts, really liked the young core that this team had a year ago. And you still are the one who has to sign off on any sort of drastic trade, which this was last summer for Jimmy. And now flash forward a year, fast forward a year. And now you're in this situation. If you're Glenn Taylor, what are you thinking now? Yeah, I think you're, you're having huge, second thoughts about all of this and and you're right man he like he was a little reluctant to trade zach levine but uh zach was injured and they did really want to vault into contention um and and into the playoff picture and i do think that glenn did see the move for jimmy as a means to empower his coach and say okay this is the guy who he needs to be successful i'm going to sign off on that and now you know 15 months later that guy wants out of here and it's it, it, it has to be incredibly disappointing for for Glenn, who was not particularly close with Tibbs as it is. I know that Tibbs has been made, making a lot of uh, efforts this summer to connect with the business side, to connect with Glenn more, to communicate more, and to do all that. But now, 
um, he, to have this all thrown in his face um, and and to see what you know how Jimmy has strained relations with Carl Towns and and with Andrew Wiggins and and some of that it just looks like um, he has come you know from from Glenn's perspective I, I have to imagine it looks like okay we brought your guy in and now look we're in a way bigger mess than when we started this and um, and so he he just can't be happy there's no possible way that he can be happy with this. Hey, Craw, is there any chance that if you are Tibbs now that, that you can orchestrate a trade with the Knicks, Clippers, or Nets that is going to at least bail, bail you out a little bit in terms of return, or is that ship also sailed? Well, I mean, you know, that's the problem is he doesn't have much leverage right now to get a whole lot in return because everyone knows that Jimmy wants out. Also, Jimmy's going to can be a free agent at the end of next year, and right. so... So there, that all that 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 really hurts him in in, a, in an ability to pull off a trade. I mean, I think the Clippers, you know, could give you Tobias Harris and Shea Gildas Alexander and and maybe a first round pick or something, and you feel okay with that. But but I mean, the bottom line is, I don't think Tibbs wants. To, I've been told that Tibbs is very resistant to trading Jimmy right now, mm-hmm. um, and because he knows that he he does know that if he trades Jimmy, he's out of a job. Like he's probably out of a job uh, eventually by the end of the season, and and so you know you have all of this hanging around, and again that gets back into probably shouldn't have president and coach be the same guy, and and all of these things, but uh, you know th- this is all coming to a head, and Tibbs is in an almost impossible position uh, to be able to 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 get a deal that could make them good enough to stay in Western Conference contention to patch up you know, the bad feelings that are lingering around here and, and to move forward. I mean, he's, he is right on the chopping block right now. And it's, 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 and Jimmy Butler has put him there. Yeah. And that, that's the other part of this too, John, is that, you know, a trade for Jimmy, regardless of what you get back in return, probably means that we're looking at another season in the lottery next and next year's next year's draft, because they're not. They're not a playoff team. With with the way the West has gotten even better with LeBron coming over to the Lakers, you trade Jimmy away. This team is not going to the playoffs. Probably not. You're right. Unless unless Manny, you know, Towns and Wiggins just emerge, you know, right. and just just take this over. I mean, you know, we saw Nick Wiggins, Andrew's brother, tweeted hallelujah when <laughs> when when I broke the news, and and so maybe that maybe that gives them a pep in their step, and maybe they they both. Uh, come into this thing determined to show Jimmy that they didn't need him, and you know. But but yes, the deck is stacked against them. It's it's more unlikely that they would take a step back to do that. And um, you know, now the, the the issue becomes is that Jimmy is out, and that's one of the guys that they didn't like, and one of the other guys that they don't particularly care for is Tom Thibodeau, and he is a weakened leader right now because. Because the, because of what his guy is doing to him, and that just creates all sorts of problems going into this season as well. So he he has a tremendous challenge to sort of navigate this and try to get people to follow him as a coach going into this season. Um, when his big his big gun just said, uh, "I don't want to be here." Did you see the uh, tweet from the uh, former point guard who now resides in <laughs> Salt Lake City today? From my little brother, yeah, I did, yeah, yeah, I did, and and that's what you're, but that's what you're seeing a lot of, and it, yeah. even behind the scenes, Manny, you know, there has been this tension in the organization 
for, since Tibbs came in, uh, you have a different approach, a different, um, you know, more no-nonsense, all-business approach. They are not touchy-feely. And it was clear in all the changes that has been, have been made with Rubio leaving, with Butler coming in, with Levine leaving, all these guys. The, 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 the clear message was it's their guys' fault. It's the, we have to make changes. It's these guys' fault. Now it's blowing up in their face, and one of the former Bulls is the one who has hit the plunger. And, and so there are people who uh, are, are absolutely gloating about this right now and saying, see, I told you so. And, mm. and, and that's coming back. Uh, the way that these guys have conducted themselves is coming back on them right now. And it's, uh, you know, they're going to have to eat some crow. Hey, Kron, last thing. Does a Butler trade mend things with Carl uh, Anthony Towns completely, or is there still work to be done there? Uh, there's still work to be done, I think, but it, it would be a, you know, I think it would be a step toward it um, and, and, and helping things out. Um, I think Carl has been trying to figure out where he fits in this organization in a Jimmy Butler featured organization. And if Jimmy Butler is no longer here, um, maybe that helps things. But I do still think that there are strains elsewhere in the organization with Towns, with Thibodeau, with, 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 with other things that have gone on. And, and those would have to be addressed as well. Um, but uh, this would be one kind of first step, I guess, in that, uh, in that direction. What a mess. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it, Johnny. You got it, guys. All Thanks, right. John. Mackie and Judd are back. Start churning butter and put on your church shoes, little sister, because we're about to blast off. On 1500 ESPN. Quick look at your traffic here in the TCL Broadcast Studios. 35W northbound. We have a crash in between 60th Street and Diamond Lake Road. That's in Richfield. Look out for a crash there, delaying things uh, by six minutes. Uh, also, 35, uh, or excuse me, 394 westbound uh, traffic incident reported, uh, delaying things by a few minutes. Uh, that's near Highway 100 in Golden Valley. And uh, 694 westbound, a crash delaying things by 12 minutes. That's uh, between uh, 35W and Long Lake Road in New Brighton. Thank you, Manny. Uh, we wrap with Royce every day on the show. Pat, this is... With with Daniel Carlson's fiasco and now J- <laughs> Jimmy Butler demanding a trade, we've reached peak yeah. Judd Zolgad season. This is his That's Christmas good. week. All my glory. That is good. And, uh, of course, the best thing about it is Jimmy uh, Jimmy says uh, there's three teams he'll sign an extension with, and there's one player on those three teams. Porzingis yeah. <laughs> is the only guy you'd yeah. take. You could go to Des Moines and get better players than those other three teams had. You know, Tibbs and Doc Rivers were our big pals, and Tibbs was out there a month ago hanging out with them. And I, so I looked at the Clippers roster to see, okay, well, could they make a trade? Hell no. no. Nobody on that team. Tobias, with the Clippers, Pat, it's like Tobias Harris and everything else is just like young, hopeful players that you hope end up being good. Yeah, it's uh, it's it, it is not uh, not a good situation. That's for sure. And I it would, I don't think we got a timeline either, do we? How long that they've been trying to convince him to do something, or if this just came up now, I, I have no idea. So I don't think anybody does. I've heard from one source that it's been going on all summer. They've been trying to convince him, and, uh, and then the other people are saying it just just 
I mean, they just he just laid this thing that Johnny was explaining on him just a couple of days ago. So, so Pat, the Wolves being the Wolves, though, sh- should oh, yeah. we be surprised by this at all? I think both of you gentlemen can confirm what uh, the Ricey saying about the Wolves has been for a long time. Even when they do the right thing, it it's turns out to thing. be the wrong thing. That is, you know, I just look back last June twenty two. I wrote a June so June twenty two of two thousand seventeen. I wrote a column ripping the hell out of Tibbs for not giving us any vision of what the hell was going on, right? And that was the day they traded for Butler. And uh, you know, okay. Okay, I guess I was wrong, but uh, I don't know. I also I do think that there's a little overreaction to uh, all these uh, great assets that they gave up for him. I mean, I I, w- I would certainly like to have marketing, but uh, I think uh, Zach is easily replaceable, and they have Chris Dunn. They're just calling him a Kogi, the same player, right? Yeah, so I, yeah. I don't think. I don't think you'd like to have a guy like Markman who could shoot, but who knows if they would have been smart enough to draft him. Yeah. Well, Pat, so we had Johnny Krasinski was on and we just actually just replayed it last segment for people uh, who just got in their cars. And he brought up a really interesting question about it's been painted by both Jimmy Butler and Tom Thibodeau and other people in the organization that their relationship is ironclad. They'll both take a basketball bullet for each other. And Jimmy Butler has Tom Thibodeau fly to L.A., if that's yes. indeed where the meeting took place, to tell Tom Thibodeau he wants to be traded, and I he just I, I'd like to know more about that dynamic between the two of them now. Yeah, if it was I don't oversold, think it's always I think it's been oversold. Sure, I mean he you know the the only reason he came here was because he and Tibbs were so close. Well, I I think the fact that he he didn't mind the hard edged coaching, but I. I don't think they were hanging, you know. When uh, when Butler went to Europe to the south of France, he didn't invite Tibbs to go with him. Tibbs in some linen so, pants uh, and some uh, <laughs> yeah, a couple yeah. three buttons undone. Yeah, you know, I, I have uh, well, we, we you know we saw him last week at that thing they had at the Twins game, and I I had dinner with him a couple of months ago, and and uh, I've seen him a couple other times, Thibodeau, and I. I my theory is that they probably didn't know this was coming. Yeah. Just, I mean, either that or he's the world's greatest at, uh, you know, he doesn't let much out anyway, no matter what the circumstance is. But, uh, uh, you, you know, I, if, if you, if you have any indication Jimmy Butler is coming back, you can't sign Derrick Rose. The only reason Derrick Rose is here is because it's Jimmy Butler, right? The only way that he's going to play 60 games instead of 82 games is because Jimmy Butler's here driving him, right? Yeah. Yep. And, yeah. Uh, and you yeah, and mean, then you bring in Luol Deng too. I mean, well, I don't think that's. I mean, that's you know, two million dollars for somebody. Luol might get thirty-five minutes now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. Yeah. He's going to get started well rest now. <laughs> might get used to him, but I don't know what they do. I I just trade him anywhere I can. I don't worry about one of his three teams and let them worry about him. You know, I I don't know where. Somebody said Otto Porter, but I don't think you can get Otto Porter for him, do you? Well, Porter, and Porter's making big money, too. He just signed a big contract with the Wizards to stay there. If they were willing to pay this guy at the end of next season, uh, I'd rather have Otto Porter at at that kind of money. Yeah, that'd be more uh, like the the Oladipo trade, where Paul George was had one year left. If you could get get an actual actual player for him, you should try to. Oh. Yeah, this is uh, it's it's incredible. I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, 
if uh, if if this is the end of it, I'll tell you one thing though: they should sell tickets for Media Day Monday, don't you think? Oh, Absolutely. I think they could, oh, they could fill the place. Pay per view. I'm going to camp there in line right now tonight. Starting, I'm, I'm going to sleep there just to see this gong show. Oh, so, hey, Patrick, I, Patrick, I'm I, very upset though. I went out to the Vikings complex and got rained on and now i can't even write about it your thoughts on the purple your thoughts after a guy took a trip to the tco performance center i'd like your thoughts oh i'm very upset yeah i'm very upset with myself phil because when he said that who 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 said it wasn't gonna rain he was starting into his next answer and i thought daniel carlson i should have just blurted it out but I, uh, since he, he was already he into his rain. next question, <laughs> Daniel Carls, that's what, where was I? I was 10 seconds late. The old, <laughs> the old Ricey, when he had his good brain going before he got to be a, you know, a old, decrepit man with a lousy memory, <laughs> took me 10, 12 seconds to come up with Daniel Carlson. I was very upset. I wanted to, I was, I would have loved to throw that out on him, but he's, you know what? He's an obstinate jackass when it comes to the media. He's got to stand it out there in the rain when he could have walked 100 feet and been inside. It's symbolic. Who said it wasn't going to rain? Uh, you know what's amazing about that place is that, you know, I know people don't like to hear us whine, but Winter Park was better than this place as far as what they put you through to go over and talk to them. It's it's incredible. Yeah, meanwhile, if you work for no Vikings idea. Entertainment Network, they actually have uh, chauffeurs and they have hors-, hors d'oeuvre people going around. It's much different. And you want to read that, folks, because you're going to get good, objective coverage. <laughs> anyway, this is, uh, yeah, what a, what a day. Jeez. Hey, did, yeah. you, did you see the story? In, I think it was Berardino who wrote, this and talk to a Miguel Sano. How how is Miguel Sano's off season plan going to go if he wants to get down to the uh, two hundred forty five pounds he claims he can get down to? <laughs> Gastric bypass. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, but hey, if he gets down to it, it certainly to me was encouraging that he is admitting that he was fat. Right, this is the first time he's admitted he's out of shape. Right, this time since he came back. Yeah. And that he feels better. Now, whether he's bright enough to do anything about it, but what's your theory, Phil, on how he still can't hit a fastball? Well, hopefully, hopefully beer gut. I guess we'll find out. But I don't know. It's uh, why, why was he able, and he struck out his rookie year, but why was he able to hit to all fields and, and draw walks and hit for average and all those things in his rookie year? And now all of a sudden, the guy, I mean, the guy's going to finish. He struck out four more times last night. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to strike out 40. Uh, some percent of the time, you know. I mean, you could you could excuse him for the layoff, I guess. But uh, man, alive, it's uh, it, I you know, there's a lot of guys having trouble catching up with the velocity, and that's him. Everybody talks about him chasing the breaking ball, but the reason he ends up chasing the breaking ball is he can't hit the fastball. Yeah, he's, so, he's four for his last fifty. Four oh for 50? Yeah. 23 strikeouts in the oh fifty plate appearances. God. He's down to one ninety nine. Thank God we sent that stiff Buxton back to Georgia, though, yeah. and there would be no at-bats available. No at-bats. Uh, no. It's the weight that we want more towards 200, not your batting average, Miguel. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 199, by the way, today. Yeah, oh, 199 after. Yes. That's that's the oh, drama but... for the next two weeks, gentlemen. After Miguel four, Sano... four strikeouts last night. Poor, poor Gardy's team. Holy cow, are they terrible.
Wow. You know, I just I commend Gardy for uh, for making it through this season with his health, apparently. Because yeah, yeah he looks pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. All right, Pat, we'll catch anyway, up again tomorrow. We'll see if old Tibbs makes it through next month with his health. Boy. He might <laughs> not make it through next month with his job. Yeah, we'll the employment see. might not be so stable. <laughs> that's, that's all right. I get a twenty four million dollar walk away. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> all right, right, see you, Pat. See you, Thanks, Patrick. Pat. Bye. All right, that's uh wrapping with Royce. Oh, it's the greatest. I love Man. it. Yeah, if you missed any of, of Doogie or John Krasinski, go find us on demand. Mackie and Judd Show page, 1500ESPN.com. Anywhere you'd find podcasts. Great outdoor show next on 1500ESPN. They're going to chat duck opener.